Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. Is ISIS operating in South Africa? There is speculation that this is the case following the arrest of 11 people late last month for the attack on a mosque in Verulam and KwaZulu-Natal and the placing of home bombs around the same time in Durban and surrounding areas. To tell me more about this is security expert Ryan Cummings. Ryan is the Director for Africa-Focused Political and Security Risk Management Consultancy, Signal Risk. Ryan, welcome and thank you for joining me. Hi, Cherise, and thank you for having me. And also, and a warm welcome to all your listeners. Uh, Ryan, it's been a while since we've spoken on air, so I'm pleased we're finally catching up. Most definitely. Hopefully, it's a sign that uh, security in South Africa is a seemingly moving, although I remain skeptical at that point, to be honest. Sorry, I missed you. You said um, security in South Africa? Oh, no, I was just mentioning the fact that uh, there's been a delay in uh, since we last spoke, oh, that yes. it could be indicative of an improvement in security uh, in South Africa. But as to see with this ongoing uh, court case regarding the suspected um, ISIS members, it's, it's seemingly not the case. So, Ryan, let's go to that. I mean, to, to what extent do you believe ISIS has established a presence in South Africa? Well, I think at this stage, um, there isn't definitive evidence to suggest the group itself. You know, the Levant-based transnationalist extremist group has set up an operational presence in South Africa. What we are seeing is that there are individuals, and in the case of the Verulam, um, you know, area of, of KZN, that they're potentially groups of individuals that have found resonance with the Islamic State ideology and specifically the group's call upon the supporters to attack, you know, interests that they deem to be un-Islamic, um, you know, in various countries where these individuals find themselves and that they are subsequently acting upon these calls. But this, importantly, doesn't seem to suggest that these individuals are collaborating with the militant group and its own kind of, you know, commanders and, and operational force that are based in countries such as Syria, Iraq, and, and in other parts of the African continent. So what you're saying is these are individuals who have resonance with ISIS but may not necessarily be linked to an ISIS cell. Does that make a difference? Uh, to a certain extent, I guess it does, because... You know, when you are dealing with uh, a group such as the Islamic State or Al-Qaeda or any other form of organized transnationalist groups, what you'll immediately see, and we we constantly see this in in other parts of Africa and other parts of of the world, is that the kind of conduct of of, um, what I can call terrorist activities from an operational perspective, are, are quite sophisticated and quite advanced. So we tend to see the useful example of car bomb attacks. We see the, the use of, of militants that are capable of matching kind of the operational capabilities of security forces deployed within um, the states that they're operating in. And in these cases, you have individuals and also vectors of attack, which can call mass, cause mass casualties. You know, when you are looking at these big truck bombs or, or car bombs or suicide bomb attacks or four or five militants that are skilled in kind of, you know, um, if I can call them insurgency operations. Um, and, and what we see when attacks by these individuals or, or these vectors are carried out that we do see significant casualties. But but you raise such an interesting point, an important point, Sharice, because what we're seeing with kind of the preeminence in the Islamic State is that the group and its membership who are not necessarily affiliated 
um, you know, formally to the group are still capable of carrying out attacks with significant casualties, either by driving vehicles into large crowds or by attacking areas um, such as a mosque or another religious places of worship where there isn't significant security. And we do have two or three individuals um, that may be armed with, with a handgun or maybe armed with a knife or any other form of offensive weaponry, uh, but are still able to perpetrate um, you know, an act of violence which could have significant casualties at the end of the day. Well, I think what was confusing people at the time, around the time of the Verulam Musk attack, is the, the subsequent bombs that were found in uh, various places in Durban. Was that, again, just to create a sense of fear? Because there was like speculation, is it Woolworths? Is it because of the kind of the previous boycott against Woolworths? What is the correlation between that attack on the mosque and those bombs around Joburg? Ah, Durban, sorry. That's the- that, that's still that's still very very in, uh, you know a, a kind of an issue that we don't have much information of. I think you know as this um, as this case you know continues and uh, you know we get more information on the suspects and and kind of the motivation for um, specifically displacement of these devices and whether they are definitively linked. We'll get more information. Uh, but I think you know the the point that that raises, Sharice, and, and why I mention and reflect back on kind of organised terrorism versus something that's more opportunistic in nature is that these devices fail to detonate and in the cases where they, there was some form of, um, I think there was one specific device that was placed in a, in a Woolworth store, I think it was at Pavilion Mall if I'm not mistaken um, it never exploded but rather kind of just um, combust if I can, if I can mm. use that term um, and, and, and that again kind of speaks to individuals that have have maybe attempted to replicate devices, explosive devices that the Islamic State has used um, in its kind of areas of operation across the world, but because they lack the sophistication and the operational know-how, they weren't able to kind of replicate a bomb um, that was viable and 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 you know, potentially able to cause significant casualties. Um, that's obviously something that we shouldn't be taking solace in um, because, you know, there might be groups or individuals that are kind of still, you know, perfecting um, the capabilities of, of creating devices that are viable, are able to cause significant casualties. And I think that what we've seen here is that we have a group of individuals who've obviously, you know, are adhering to, um, and as, you know, the court cases has thus far, um, you know, underlined that these guys have actively been um, downloading ISIS training manuals, specifically manuals on how to create devices, and they've shown that they have the intent to do so, but perhaps not the operational capabilities. So, Ryan, you make an excellent point when you say that, you know, ISIS itself is very mobilized and um, it can cause tremendous amount of real damage as opposed to kind of the amateurs that we're possibly seeing here. Um, but there have been deadly attacks in Mozambique this year, quite a number of terrorist attacks. And does that suggest that um, Islamic terrorism is coming to Southern Africa? Is it, you know, are these just the first signs of what could possibly be, we can possibly expect? That's a very, very good um, question, um, Sharice. I mean, we, we never necessarily associate the issue of, of Islamist extremism specifically with Southern Africa kind of, you know, used to be the ambit of, of North Africa, West Africa and East Africa. Um, but what we have obviously seen in Mozambique is kind of this, um, if I can call it osmosis, um, of, um, of extremism down the Swahili coast. Now, why I place emphasis on, on, on Swahili coast is the sense that there is some form of ethnic 
and you know kind of religious conformance with with that part of Africa that kind of runs all the way down from Somalia and all the way you know into Tanzania and to southern Tanzania and to um, northern Mozambique, which we know Cabo Delgado province, where the majority of terrorism is happening, is a predominantly Muslim area of, of Mozambique. In fact, I think about 80% of the region's population at the very minimum um, identify as, as Muslim. The big issue in Cabo Delgado province is that kind of the con- conformance to, um, to, to Islamic practices within the region has always been super Theism, um, which is a very kind of, if I can call it, mystical and also moderate practice of Islam. But what we increasingly saw in areas such as Kenya and Tanzania, you have kind of these ideologues that are preaching a form of, of, of Islam um, that is particularly conservative, ultra-conservative, if I can even call it that, and which is uh, particularly popular in Saudi Arabia, but also parts of the Levant, and specifically the type of ideology that is practiced and promulgated by the Islamic State. And what we have seen is, you know, as we we see migration into um, northern Mozambique, you know, from individuals from Somalia, from Kenya, and from Tanzania, they have also imported this really extremist ideology within these areas, and which I believe has played a significant role in radicalizing uh, a local population that's already facing significant socioeconomic uh, marginalization and have a socioeconomic so, Ryan, I think we're going to take our advert break over here. And when we come back, maybe we can look at, you know, you talk about Sufism, the, the Shia-Sunni relations in South Africa, which I understand has always been a particularly good one, and perhaps explore that a little bit more. That sounds brilliant. Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. And I'm talking to Ryan Cummings, who is the Director of Signal Risk, an Africa-focused political and security risk management consultancy. Ryan, um, I think what shocked South Africans the most was that it was um, an attack what looked like tensions between Shia and Sunni relations in South Africa. Would you agree that that is what that attack in the Verla Mosque was? It certainly looks like that on, um, you know, based on, on current evidence. Um, and, and, and again, it's, it's an issue that's anomalous, I think, for the um, Muslim community specifically. And I think that in South Africa, you know, across all religions, both from an inter and also intra religious perspective, there is kind of that sense of, of harmony. Um, and you know there might be certain issues that we don't all agree on, but at least there's always been channels for dialogue to settle uh, um, you know such disputes either on domestic issues or geopolitical um, issues occurring outside of our borders. And when we obviously saw what happened in Berlin and, and specifically an attack on um, on a Shiite mosque and, and knowing the fact that Shiite-Sunni relations outside of, um, of, of South Africa and specifically in areas where you have groups such as Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State operating in the Levant, for example, are so tense and are kind of the primary vehicle for violence in this region because of the nexus between, you know, um, if I can call it the political um, authority in these countries and kind of sectarianism within the Islamic faith, um, that it was 
massively concerning, um, I, I would imagine, for, for the South Africa's Muslim community, but also for South African mm. uh, South Africans in general. Mm. And if I can reflect back on Mozambique, Charissa, I've mentioned the fact that we see this import of of an of a more extremist or conservative, ultra-conservative ideology that we see in in northern Mozambique because of Tanzanian, Kenyan, and even um, Somali ideologues, you know, kind of espousing Wahhabism and Salafi jihadism, which is the the ultra-conservative forms of of Islamic thought. You know, into these regions, we kind of see this form of radicalization taking place and being kind of inflicted um, against, you know, moderate communities within northern Mozambique. Similarly, in South Africa... We are seeing ideologues coming from South Asia, places such as Bangladesh, places such as Pakistan, even North Africa, people from coming from Egypt and, and Somalia, Sudan, from a certain extent. And what they are also doing is, is that they are coming to South Africa, not only looking at, you know, sex, um, Muslim sects which are not kind of conforming to the interpretation um, of Islamic doctrine and where there is you know, for example, an ideological dispute, you know, regarding the, the, the core tenets of the religion. But they're also looking at Sunni Muslims in South Africa. They practice of Islam. They kind of, you know, um, I can call it the, the, the existence in, in harmony with our secular government, you know, with our, you know, other religions um, that exist in South Africa. And they are actually preaching that, you know, if you are, tolerating secular governance, if you're tolerating other faiths, Christianity, Judaism, um, you know, agnostics, then you are essentially not practicing um, Islam correctly. And and that, for me, is, is a very, very concerning development that we're seeing in South Africa, is that there's an increase in ultra-conservative ideologues coming to South Africa, stating that the Muslim community in South Africa and the various uh, sects within the uh, South African Muslim community are not practicing the faith um, properly because they are too accommodating of our secular government and too accommodating of other faiths and accommodating of Islamic sects that, you know, where there's an ideological dispute occurring um, and that this could potentially be the start of radicalism or radical Islam gaining traction um, within our country. It's still going to be among pockets of South Africans because I do believe that, you know, we have generations of of religious harmony existing Mm -hmm. within our country and that's not going to change. But as we've seen across the world, just need a small group of people that could, could potentially increase interfaith relations um, to a point where it becomes an issue of friction. Ryan, I agree with you. I mean, I think South Africa is generally a very tolerant society, and hopefully there will be enough pushback from all tolerant people in our country uh, against any form of fundamentalism. But in kind of the last question for you would be what can we expect in the coming days when the trial against the 11 suspects uh, unfolds? Well, I think the, 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 the key issue is to kind of, I think the main, from my perspective, Julie, as a security analyst, is that my biggest fear in is the fact that you know, we can see organized extremism start taking root. Um, where you have groups such as the Islamic State or Al Qaeda or, or any other form of, of fundamentalist organization that's actually uh, an established operational presence and the ability to kind of carry out, you know, these, these attacks that we see in other parts of the world. Um, 
Um, and if this, you know, I mean, I saw one of the headlines, for example, which, which didn't perhaps provide too many insights at the stage in terms of where this is going, but mentioning the fact that this investigation has now um, pulled, uh, informed the Hawks that they should be expanding, um, you know, the um, kind of analysis of, of what's currently happening regarding this trial to outside of South Africa's borders. And, and, and I think the key concern, the key thing for everyone to look out for is, is whether this has been a few guys, you know, who have been radicalized within their own communities or within their own homes and then therefore, you know, kind of tried to act on a call by the Islamic State to, to carry out acts of violence, whether this is indeed something that is more sophisticated, part of a wider network, which would seriously, I guess, um, shift what we perceive to be the uh, prevailing terrorism threat in South Africa and where we should actively be looking in terms of, of what areas and what potential targets could be susceptible to, to acts of violence perpetrated by these individuals or wider networks. Well, it's certainly a space we're going to be watching with great interest. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Cherise.